Hello, I'm Monsignor Jim Osanti. Today our guest on Personally Speaking is the wonderful actor and singer and composer and producer, Eric Bergen. Stay with us. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Trimosanti. Actor, singer, producer, and composer Eric Bergen joins me now. Eric is best known as Blake Moran on the hit drama series Madam Secretary, which ran for six seasons on CBS and currently streams on Netflix. He is also known for his critically acclaimed performance as Bob Gordio in the film Jersey Boys, a role he also played on stage. Eric also starred in the hit Broadway musical Waitress and recently joined the cast of the CBS series Bull for its final season. He's produced over 100 projects for television, the internet, and in person for his production company, 6W Entertainment, and has worked with the likes of President Barack Obama, Michael Kors, Bette Midler, Bruce Springsteen, and many others. Eric is here with us today to talk about his life, his career, the things that matter the most to him. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, Eric Bergen. We are here talking to Eric Bergen. We're going to talk about his acting career, about his composing career, about his producing career. Uh, this is a multi-talented man. We're delighted to have him on the program. Uh, Eric, many, many years ago, way long ago, I had an opportunity to meet and interview an actor named Paul Schofield, who I guess is most famous in America for A Man for All Seasons, for which he won an Oscar. But I said, of all the tools you use in your acting life, what's the most important? And uh, very often critics would say it was his voice, but he said, my capacity for listening. He said, any good actor will really be attuned to what the other actors are saying. In, in your stage life, as well as in your personal life, how good a listener, in terms of listening from the heart, the soul, the mind, is Eric Bergen? <laughs> well, my therapist would say, um, <laughs> Gosh, that's a great question. I think I think I'm a pretty good listener. In fact, I think I have to be a good listener to do what I do as an actor. Of course, um, strictly on an acting basis, uh, uh, acting is reacting uh, mm -hmm. and being in the moment and present and finding a way. Speaking about theater specifically, finding a way to bring new life every night to something that you've done for possibly hundreds of times before. Right. Uh, is certainly all about listening. You're 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 listening in the moment. You're not replaying the lines. You're not ahead of the line. You are in the moment, and that is listening. Um, as a as a as a TV actor, when uh, you know you kind of film one scene, you may film it a bunch of times, but it's once you finish that scene, you never do it again. Um, it, it, it's kind of the same thing. You know, take take uh, twenty five. You've got to find. Uh, something new, but you still have to kind of match what you were doing a little bit in, in scene one. And that's, that's really about listening as well. As a producer, which is something that I've really jumped into over the past two years since COVID mm -hmm. began, it's all listening because um, oftentimes if I'm being hired by a client, if I'm being hired by a, a nonprofit organization that I'll do work for to produce a gala of theirs, you know, I have to meet their needs as a, 
as uh, as, as they are my client, I have to meet their needs of of uh, uh, fundraising goals or things that have to be in the program or things like that. Um, and then it's also listening to their fears, listening to um, if I'm trying to get them to do something new, if I'm trying to push what they're comfortable with. Certainly when we were at the height of COVID and I was helping a lot of nonprofits convert their fundraising gala evenings to virtual fundraising gala evenings. And they were so scared that the majority of their donors wouldn't even be able to know how to turn on Zoom. Um, there there was a lot of fear that, that, that a lot of people, people were speaking really from a place of, of fear, mm-hmm. uh, broadly speaking. And listening to them to know how to, being a producer is about getting the job done, whatever it takes. Along the way, you have to be sensitive to the the needs and the fears of those that have hired you and, 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 and those that you are hiring because your job is to get to the finish line, not to be a superstar. You know, your job is not to be right. Your job is to get the job done. And um, that is all listening because even if it's even if you know how to manipulate it and get it to the place where you want the final product to be i have to listen to many parties to know my best uh chess move i wish we could uh, bottle what you're saying eric uh, eric and i are talking for our listeners and watchers uh, on the day after the shooting in texas and and all I see happening are people on the right saying we need more guns and people on the left saying we need more gun control. And you want to say, can either of you listen to each other and find a way to resolve this instead of pointing fingers? And uh, the whole country, maybe the whole world needs to grow that capacity that you have. Now, I'm going to suggest that some of what you are, uh, probably a lot, comes from the people who founded your, your life. Um, I've seen a picture of, of Eric with his mom and dad, and they look like this loving, terrific, together family. But he talks very honestly in other places, Eric, about the fact that they actually divorced when he was young, but stayed as a team, as a family, for the sake of raising Eric. Eric, you know and I know there are tons of people who have horror stories about uh, parents who never spoke to each other again, certainly did not have their children's best interests at heart. Uh, What is there so wonderful about your folks that they had the good sense to say, we may not be meant to spend our lives together, but the kid's not going to suffer because of that? Well, I mean, thank you for talking about that. I, you know, yeah, I did get very lucky. My parent, I'm an only child, and my parents got divorced when I was five. If it uh, wasn't for me being born, these are two people that would have, when they split up in 1991, would have never seen each other again. Um, but uh, uh, yes, the connective tissue there is me. And what's interesting is, I think about this all the time. I talk about this all the time with my friends as well, because... For example, my uh, my my dad's family, my dad's friends. We have my mom's family, my mom's friends, and we we many of us get together still uh, at Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, when I was growing up, we used to go up to Brewster, New York. My godparents, who were originally friends of my dad's, it was my dad's best friend growing up, and and his wife, um, Midge and David, and Midge and David. Um, uh, had this incredible house uh, and still do. Uh, David has since passed, but Midge is still at this uh, incredible house up in Brewster, New York. And very similar to that film, The Big Chill, uh, mm-hmm. without the inciting incident of <laughs> right. death. 
but but the big it was that spirit it was that vibe it was friends who had created their own family many of whom had an artistic sensibility about them um uh came together to create this family thanksgiving even though almost none of them were actual blood relatives mm -hmm. and obviously my mother was then brought in when when she started dating my father and and but when they split up they both still came to Brewster every thanksgiving because no one wanted to let go of each other mm -hmm. um and certainly the connective tissue there was was again me as a child they wanted me to have that experience so i grew up going to Brewster um and and my dad and my mom would bring their new significant others up to Brewster every <laughs> Thanksgiving. Um, I don't know where they got the courage or the thought to do that. And I don't actually know that they necessarily thought that through. I don't know if they were sat down, they thought we're going to commit to a life that raises that. I, I don't know if it, it was that. I've never really talked to them about that, but it's what happened. And to this day, um, they both show up to every one of my performances. They don't miss a one. Um, my my mom and uh, her her husband, and my dad and her her my dad and his uh, partner Cheryl. Uh, they have been together for for almost twenty years, but they have they've never gotten married. Um, they're all it's a it's a big extended family and and we still do thanksgiving we don't do it up in brewster anymore but we do it in the city and it's my my my, my mother's brother will come and and his family and my my uh, uh you know some of my 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 dad's partners um uh her so her daughter and and uh, her son and the granddaughter like everyone is in and i do sometimes sit around and think okay the only reason why all of these people are in this room together is me mm -hmm. um and that's pretty wild and i feel very very lucky about it but i don't know if they ever sat down and really thought it through it just kind of happened no you definitely are blessed i want to talk about another dimension of your life eric bergen's our guest eric we we've had on the show a couple of times and we love the guy um, matt doyle and delighted oh, that he's oh god i love matt doyle talented wonderful guy and yes. he's talked very openly on the program about uh, grappling throughout his life with depression. I mention that because I'm not surprised anybody in the arts would be uh, grappling with depression. When you look about the indefiniteness of the life, about waiting for that next job, about being subject to the whims of critics and everyone else, uh, life on the road. But he has tried, obviously, in his best way to deal with it, and I think he's doing fine. For yourself, you have the same indefiniteness in your life but there seems to be about you this kind of bounce, this joy. Um, you, you deal with rejection like every actor, but it never seems to consume you. How come? Wow. Um, it's interesting that you say that the image that I give out publicly is this is this joy and this bounce. Um, I have, I'm, I've, I've worked very hard at putting out that image. I have never suffered from depression. Um, I I don't I don't think I have. I've never recognized it as depression. Um, I know that there's obviously a big difference. The little I know about depression, there's a you know there's a there's a difference between 
someone who's extremely sad about something and someone mm-hmm. who has a chemical depression, which is when you feel the feelings of sadness unrelated to any specific uh, incident or issue, or it can be that. Yeah. Um, I have been very sad at specific things that have happened. I have never suffered from de- depression, so I can't speak to that. Mm-hmm. What I can tell you is that if you commit to a life not just in the arts, but if you commit to a life in show business, mm-hmm. in the old-fashioned term show business, right, right. you are falling in love with the absurdity of it. <laughs> right. You 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 are you are if you jump on board into show business and you're looking for stability or if you're looking for some kind of answer here. Uh, certainly as an actor, it's it's like the lowest of the totem pole, right? You know, maybe you get a little bit more control over your career and your life if you're a a, a, a producer or a, 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 a I don't know, I, you know, I'm sure there are, are TV producers and writers and people who would say, what are you talking about? I'm the bottom of the totem pole. You know, I'm, I'm sure everyone <laughs> feels that way. But I work really, really hard at putting out the image of joy. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not to say that it's false. That's not to say that I'm painting a picture that is not true. But these days, when, when, when actors and artists are also thought of as quote unquote brands, Mm -hmm. and you have social media pages that are just as important, you know, as your final work, Sometimes your social media page is your final work. <laughs> um, I have, for example, I've really never talked about this, but a lot of actors post on their social media, they will post their um, self-tape audition outtakes, or they'll post a, a little photo or video of themselves standing in front of a green screen, you know, clearly in their apartment, you know, hashtag self tape or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, because what has happened for those who don't know is during COVID um, and it has continued auditions are for the majority no longer in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a lot of theater auditions are, um, they've gone back to that to a degree and it kind of ebbs and flows with how, you know, COVID is kind of going at the time, but TV auditions are essentially non-existent in person at this point. And so you do all of your auditions at home uh, with an iPhone. uh, And a lot of us have invested in, you know, green screens in our apartments and things like that. And um, I have purposefully not put out any kind of images of me looking for a job and I'm doing air, I'm, you know, air quotes around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and it's because I try to put out this, I'm trying to put out an image that the work that I do, that's what I want you to see. I don't yeah. want you to see how I got there because I don't want you to think of me as an actor. I want you to think of me as the part that I'm playing mm-hmm. in the final product. Now, I've had plenty of people say to me, you could benefit from letting us into your world 
a little bit and letting us see behind the scenes. Let us see what it is your life because that's what social media is. The things that go viral, the things that get the most traction on social media are the things that are relatable, you know, are the things that are a little janky, are the things that aren't pro shot. Mm -hmm. It's the things that are people singing in their cars, you know, the funny videos on TikTok, things like that. It's things that are real. It's things that are not made up. It's things that are letting us in to what your realness is to be perp to be perfectly frank with you yeah i'm not comfortable being that real i'm a little (laughs) older than the generation who has i'm 36 so i didn't grow up giving it all away yeah i grew up my heroes in the arts all had an air of mysteriousness to them Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I'm not saying this is true for everyone. For me, uh, I still cling to that. And I may be outdated in that thinking, but it's where I live. You know, Matt Doyle has is so brilliant at using his social media um, to speak about causes that are important to him. Mm-hmm. He, he, for a while, I remember during COVID, he was doing like, uh, he would be streaming on Twitch, which is that, you know, website where you can watch people play video games, huh. which truly, I don't, I'm not a video game person. I have no clue how it works or any of that <laughs> stuff. But the whole idea of watching someone play a video game is like, okay, isn't it time to like leave their house when they turn on the video game and they're no longer talking? Now we sit and watch people playing video games in their homes, but whatever, you know, and he'll get all these like hundreds of people watching his stream. Uh, to do it, and he's talking, and he's built up this fan base of people that know him and 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 love him and respect him, and and then he goes on Broadway and does you know this incredible work that now he's gotten a Tony nomination for. So you know, really, what do I know? All I'm saying is what's comfortable to me. I I have I have worked very hard at putting out the image of my life is great and it's joyful and it's filled with joy and I love doing the different things that I do, whether it be producing or performing or singing, whatever it may be. And all of that's true. When I do those things, I am so joyful about it. And I, mm-hmm. I you know, I think I'm about 80% joyful in my non, you know, work life as well. I mean, just throughout the day, I'm a, I'm a pretty annoyingly joyful guy. It <laughs> doesn't mean that I don't get sad you know yesterday i found out I, I i didn't get a job that i really really wanted as an actor but i don't take that to social media i don't put that out because hmm. i don't feel like that's my job i understand for other actors it is it, it fits their there's that word again brand i just hmm. i just come from a little bit of I want to talk about i want to you know if i sit down for a ted talk or an interview like this mm-hmm and I'm talking about what it takes to be a working artist, that's when I tell these stories. Right, right. To give it away on a daily basis is just not my thing. So I leave that part out, and what you're left with are the wins. And those wins are pretty darn joyful. Uh, Eric Bergen's our guest, and one of the things Eric has done, uh, I think very 
courageously is he's put out front to the world the fact that the, the last thing any of us want to hear is a, a diagnosis of cancer. Here's my question, Eric, when you found that out, and uh, thank God beat it, but when, when you found that out, there are, it seems to me from my work in the parish and with sick people, there's two ways people respond. It's either carpe diem, I'm going to seize every moment of every day and live it so fully, uh, I'm going to pack into every day everything I can, or people who say, you know what, maybe this is a reminder to, to slow down and smell the coffee. Um, your response, uh, did, did you go through both choices and, and how did you end up choosing, well, this is the path I'm going to take? I did a combo of both. Okay. Um, I did slow down. And I mean that quite literally. When I, was, when I was diagnosed, I was living in Los Angeles. And I noticed that one of the things that changed was my road rage. Because um, mm. uh, you spend so much time in your car right. in traffic in Los Angeles. Yeah. And I realized one of the first things that happened was you stop caring about being cut off. Mm. At least that's what it was for me. Maybe for some people it makes them even angrier, but for me, <laughs> right. uh, you know. So it, I, I think what it did for me overall, and the reason why I say a little bit of both, it because it, you, you end up focusing on quality versus quantity. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you both you both slow down and you focus in on the things that are important to you, but you do so with the knowledge that life is short mm -hmm. and you feel that, you feel that very in your face. You, 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 yeah. you all of a sudden are living under this umbrella of knowledge that life is short. Yeah. And, and, and because of that, you, you hone in on exactly what you want to do with your life. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's 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 a combo. It's a combo of the two. Well, I also well, was was was. I just want to say this yeah, as sure. well. I just want to say that I was very lucky. I had doctors who, who were not only brilliant, but you know, told me from a very early on moment. They said, "This is going to mess you up a little bit in the head." Mm. And here are the resources to to speak to people about that. Um, don't be ashamed don't think anything of it that that is part of this but let me tell you right now based on the diagnosis i'm looking at you're going to be fine this is not going to affect your life past you know a few months from now don't this is not something they whatever it was how they told it to me at that time they were very clear that and they they were able to land it they were able to land this idea inside me, the idea that you're going to be okay. This mm -hmm. is not the end of your life. Um, okay. And once you have a doctor who knows how to communicate that, not just those words, but knows how to communicate it, you, you know, you talk about, talk about acting, how to communicate to an audience, because he was able to communicate that to me so strongly that I believed it, mm -hmm. um, I... I, I walked out of there not fearful that I was going to die tomorrow. Right, right. We're all going to go there someday, but not now for you, Eric. Right. You know, related to that, I had one time an actor on, and I knew from background that his wife had been battling cancer. She's also an actress. And, uh, and I asked him during the interview how she was doing. 
And then when the interview was over, he called me and said, look, Jim, please do me a favor. Cut out that part of the interview where you reference my wife's illness because we don't want her not to get jobs because people have heard that she had cancer at some point. You obviously made a conscious decision to say, hey, world, here I am, uh, and, and I'm putting it right out front. This is what I faced. How come? Well, I waited a little bit. I waited until I had enough notoriety in my fame, for lack of a better term, to be able to do some good with it. When mm -hmm. I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed on March 1st, 2013. Okay. Um, and... Uh, and then I did one round of chemo um, a little later that year. My first job back to work after my diagnosis, surgery, and chemotherapy was the film of Jersey Boys. Okay. It was my very first time back to work. It was one of my very, it was, I don't think it was my very first audition after maybe it was my first audition after chemo. I think maybe it was actually, because I took some time in between diagnosis and surgery and chemo. I had a few, I had like an eight week window where I did some other, you know, auditions. Um, but I think post chemo Jersey boys was my first audition. And, um, I went and filmed the movie, um, and f after the after we filmed the movie, which finished filming at the end of 2013, in the very beginning of 2014 is when I uh, booked the the pilot of Madam Secretary, and then later that that year, that summer is when the Jersey Boys film came out, and then you know later that year, Madam Secretary came out. So it was kind of this. Uh, roller coaster of uh, my career really starting. Uh, let me just, for the sake of the Irish Catholics out there, I, I saw a picture recently of Eric with his mom and dad. And, and Eric, whatever you got in terms of culture and humor from the Jewish side, that head of hair of yours, which is so perfect. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, that's from well, your Irish. Your mother has the best hair in the world. It you does. You got it, that from the Irish side. <laughs> I really did. Well, my dad has, you know, virtually no hair at this point. And well, he really, he kind of lost it early on. Um, no, that is definitely my mom. My mother, <laughs> funny enough, my mother during COVID, like so many people did, they, they stopped dyeing their hair. They let their hair go natural. And her hair grew in, it didn't just, it didn't grow in gray. It grew in silver, and she swears she did not do a thing, and I actually believe her. Wow. It grew in with a purple tint. It grew in. <laughs> and we go, when, we, when I go up to visit her, and we'll go to Starbucks, we go to wherever we go, the amount of comments that she gets on her hair just walking around. You know, and I'm like, excuse me, I was on TV. Do you not recognize me? This woman <laughs> gets so many compliments on her hair because it. they think that she's done something. They want to know what color it is. And the people that are saying this are younger than me. Like they want, they want her hair. But she has some like purple tint in her hair that grew in naturally. I don't understand it. Um, it's uh, all very odd, but it's, it, it falls in line with uh, exactly who my, my parents are. I want to thank Eric Bergen for being with us. Great actor, composer, singer, and all the rest. But, um, you know, Eric, doing this program for so many years, one of the things that's always struck me is I can, I can almost immediately tell when someone is used to uh, the canned and formulated answer. And then there's those who can converse freely and share who they really are, and that's you. And I thank <laughs> you for your honesty. Uh, you're, you're just wonderful. I, I love you as a performer. I've had the privilege of seeing you in action, but as a person, e even better than as a performer. So thank you for all of that, and, uh, and thank you for being with us on Personally Speaking. 
Thank you. Very kind. Thanks so much for having me. As we end today's program, I want to thank you all for being with us. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at personallyspeakingpodcast.gmail.com. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, Personally Speaking. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.